Okay, there. Now we're rolling. Uh, Chris? Yes. Chris Nashawani, author, movie critic. We're, we're in, we, you wrote a book, first of all. Yes, I did. This is, the, is this the definitive book on Caddyshack? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Caddyshack, the making of a Hollywood Cinderella story. That is it. Yes. It, but before we get into the book, Chris, um, we're in Lower Manhattan. We are in, I would say, we've been in a lot of weird places for the Eric Anders Lang show. Today we are in a 800-seat theater. Yeah, it's a, it's a movie theater in the building where I work, and fortunately no one's using it right now, so we just sort of uh, crashed and taken advantage of it. This is, I swear, if you guys can see, this is like, I feel like we're in that movie, um, what's the fucking movie with um, Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence where they're on the spaceship? Oh, yeah, Life. Life, yes. yeah. I feel like we're... In a screening room on like a twenty-year spaceship thing. Right, right, right. It's really the last good. two people on Earth. Yeah, yeah. It also the 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 room here has chosen blue seats, which is unusual. Mm, Shades yeah. of blue. Yeah, I don't know why that is. I'll have to look into that. As a movie critic, yeah, you work for Entertainment Weekly. You're the you're the head, uh, you're the chief movie critic writer for Entertainment Weekly. Right. Blue seats. What do you? What do you? I mean, they're supposed to be red. Yeah, they should be. I mean, and I think that they're trying to make a statement with it, which <laughs> I respect. Um, you know, I think. Uh, I like a red seat. I like a traditional red seat that tilts a little bit. Um, I like popcorn on the floors, and this is definitely not a popcorn on the floor kind of theater. So, um, this is like a sushi theater. This is like a sushi theater. This is like a <laughs> buy a filet mignon and have a, a glass of sauvignon. Have you been to IPIC, by the way? I have actually. That place it's is gorgeous. Sick. It is. Yeah. So IPIC, if you're not in New York or LA, you might not have heard of IPIC, which is what fifty bucks a seat. Essentially, basically, yeah. Movie theater, uh, thirty seats. You can get anything you want. Yeah. Unfortunately, the one time I was there, I saw Superfly, which was like the worst movie. Yeah, that would So it work. really took the experience. Really put a cold blanket on the. Experience. I saw. I, well, I fucking I saw Twelve Strong and yeah. uh, Skyscraper. Okay. So I'm not too. Uh... Yeah, those aren't good movies, but <laughs> Skyscraper at least is like entertaining in a, in a bad way. And it's got my favorite person in the world, which is The Rock. So nice. that helps. Um. Okay, so on the elevator up, uh, you know, we revealed things to each other. You revealed to me. <laughs> well, let's, let's be clear about what we did and did not reveal to each other in the elevator. Okay, everybody who's listening, you might know that Eric doesn't read a lot. So I told Chris I didn't read the book. And I felt really bad, but you didn't give a shit. You told me that you don't really play golf. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I don't think, um, look, I, I think that I will probably tell you over the next several minutes everything you need to know about the book. Although I would encourage people who are listening to read it because... As I followed up telling you when you tell me you didn't read the book, uh, you should because if you like movie uh, sto- anecdotes about people taking tons of cocaine, then you will love the book. And who doesn't like reading anecdotes about people taking tons of cocaine? I mean, I, that's all I talk about. That's, yes. That's very- <laughs> in fact, the podcast, well, anyway, I don't know where we're at in the timeline, but I recorded a podcast recently where I basically had to profusely explain at the end of the podcast that I do not endorse hard drug usage among my listeners. That said, cocaine and uh, LSD are great ways to open your mind. Yeah, I'm not. I, actually, I'm going to be a little, I'm going to be, I, like, the, the thing, if, if you do read the book, okay, and, and I, again, I'm going to, people will read the book. talking about the book, I want to encourage Pe- people to go out and buy it. People will read the book. People, I would like that very much, because it's, it's a lot of fun. I have always been look i think that I, I i don't take any sort of judgment in the book about about the drug use that goes on but you will see in the book by the time you reach the end that it has as much fun as it is like during the the giddy highs of of all of it the decadence and all of that these people pay tremendous consequences for, in their lives in their lives for for doing this stuff so okay let's set up the world here you uh you you have kids, you have a job. Why the fuck would you write a book? It's well, a, so much. I'm a writer. You know, that's what I do. And that's what people <laughs> well, pay me to do. But I mean, <laughs> writing a book is a long task. That, it does it pay off? Yeah, it does. It's And it's fun. I mean, okay. I wrote the book I wanted to write. You know, it's if I had to write about something that I wasn't interested in or something that really felt like work, I wouldn't do it. But right. Caddyshack is a movie I love and that I've seen a lot. Well, you, even, uh, you even call Caddyshack perhaps the best comedy ever made not just sports comedy to me it, i mean that's what could be a more subjective thing talking about what's the best <laughs> comedy of all time but for me you know someone who grew up watching this movie and really 
um, like memorizing its lines and, you know, talking about it with my friends, like so many people do with this movie. Uh, to, you know, I, I just, I'm a little biased when it comes to this movie. I have blinders on, you know, I, other people might, you know, say that Raising Arizona is the best comedy of all time or, you know, uh, it's a bit dark, Annie right? Hall or uh, just something stupid like Dumb and Dumber. You know, every, everyone's got a different opinion. But the thing that makes Caddyshack so interesting to me is that it's, it's a story about golf. It's a story about comedy in the 70s when comedy was really changing. It's a story about the counterculture. You know, it's a story about... Um, how America is changing. Uh, there's there's so many angles that this one movie and the, the making of this movie represent. Right. You know, Hollywood is really changing in the 70s. Um, and, and this is like the first movie, uh, along with Animal House, that really sort of shows this new generation's point of view. What I find kind of interesting is, uh, you know, from my perspective, a lot of what I try to do is to make golf more accessible to non-golfers. Yeah. And even, I guess, make golf less detestable to yeah. non-golfers. Right. And, you know, I think what's interesting is, is you, as a movie critic, chose Caddyshack to sort of invest a large part of your life into it's surprising to me a little bit that you're not like a golf-crazed person. I mean, you know, you talk about we, you've played golf, you know golf yeah. a little bit. but. Th that is sort of a really cool parallel that I would like to draw, you know, sure. th that, that I would like to sort of pursue on my own life. Um, so let's what, going back, you know, how do you get into writing this book? What, what, what okay. is it? What so, is the central yeah, match? Sure. So. All right. So what happens is I occasionally do some writing for Sports Illustrated and um, in 19. Sorry, in 2010, it was Caddyshack's 30th anniversary. And they came to me and they said, we would love for you to write a piece about the making of Caddyshack for its anniversary. So I said, sure. And as I started doing... Dream, dream job. Yeah, great. You know, that's fantastic. So uh, I start interviewing people like Chevy Chase and Harold Ramis. Who Hang was on, been, yeah. you, you start interviewing people like Chevy Chase. You're yeah. just going to let that, like... Well, that's what, that's what I do. I, is I'm it sorry. on the phone? Is it yeah, in person? That was on, these were all on the phone. Jesus yeah, Christ. So, so, yeah, I got Chevy Chase... Uh, Harold Ramis, the director, yeah. and um, Bill Murray, wow. uh, which is a whole story I'll get into later. How do you even get Bill Murray on the phone? That's yeah. the story. He doesn't right? even have a phone. Yeah, I know. So um, it's, I interviewed all those people, and as I talked to them, I was like, there's way too much. Like, they were telling me all these stories about the making of the movie. And it just sounded like the making of the movie was kind of more interesting than the movie itself which is rare, and I thought, like, all right, I am going to... There's too much here for, like, a five-page magazine story. Like, let me just bank the stuff I don't use, and I might come back to it later uh -huh. when it's time to do something with is it. Is that common for writers? I, you never let anything go to waste. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like uh, yeah. if you're a butcher or something. Right. You know what I mean? It's like everything's right. going to be used. You're like, and here's the asshole. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but this was like real filet mignon I was right. leaving on the table. So, right. Uh, right. so I, anyway, it got me thinking that, that there might be a book here. And then, you know, a few years later, it just sort of, Someone asked me what I wanted to write about, and that was it. So, and you, and this had been on your list. Yeah, this this was high up on my list. Um, largest surprise of learning about Caddyshack. What, what was the thing where you were like, I would never have expected that. Yeah, I think because um, it looks like such a fun movie to make. I think the most shocking thing to me was how much people didn't get along. Mm. Well, I heard I heard uh, Bill and and che and Chevy. Bill and Chevy really were not in a good way. And maybe even their scenes were minimized or something? But no, it was actually just the opposite. What happened was Bill and Chevy um, had been sort of bitter enemies going back to Saturday Night Live because Chevy was the star, the breakout star of season one. Mm. And he left after that to become a big movie star. Wow, and Bill one, Murray se was, one season of SNL and one he's season, out. Yeah. So, and then uh, he did a little in season two, but he was basically after one and done. Can we take a break, though? Yeah. Because that won't happen anymore. No. It, it, for some reason, social media, internet, it doesn't allow it to be that quicker. I don't know no. why. But it was such, you know, there had never been, in 1975, when that show debuted, there was nothing like that. Oh, Chevy was on literally season one of season SNL. Season one of SNL. Holy shit. And he was the breakout shit. star of the first season. And so he, after, he was the only one who had a one-year contract in the cast. And so he decided, because he was getting offered a ton of money in movie roles, because he was the breakout star, to come west to hollywood and like you know do movies with goldie hahn so he was he was like i'll do that right. so he left 
And Bill Murray was actually his replacement in the cast. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bill Murray, when Chevy came back to guest host a few, in 1978, Bill Murray, as the new guy, sort of took it upon himself um, to sort of stick up for his cast members who had been left behind, guys like Belushi and Aykroyd. Whoa. Um, to sort Because they all felt that Chevy had gotten a big head and like went on to the movies and was sort of like, sort of, he gave off the impression that he had, cre- you know, that he was the reason the show was a success and not them. He Whoa. was, you know, a prickly dude. So um, when he came back to host the show, Bill Murray and, and, and Chevy got in a fist fight backstage. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was bad blood between the two of them. So Caddyshack happens a year after that fist fight. Oh, my God. And everyone is sort of nervous on the set about, like, how are these two going to get along? You know, they, right, last time so. they saw each other, it was like, you know, they were throwing punches. So... Um, Fortunately, in the, in the script, they didn't have a scene together. But what happened was they were both so good, their scenes were so good, that the studio said to the director, Harold Ramis, we need a scene with Chevy and Bill together. Wow. So they just improvised one. And that's the famous scene in the movie where they're like, you know, he's, he uh, hits the ball into Carl Shack and he, right. like, you know, he's playing night golf or whatever. And it's like pool or the pond and they're smoking yeah. weed. And, pool would be good for you. Yeah, pond, right. pond would be good for yeah. you. So that, so that, it's, it, those two hated each other. That's to, that scene is totally improvised. Totally improvised, and uh, and they both in the book have a ton of great stuff to say about that scene. Wow, it's just great, dude. Time yeah. out. I'm reading this fucking. Yeah, book. of course you are. I'm reading this you. fucking. I told book, you, dude. it's really really fun. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then so, and then sorry, one one more thing is is Bill, um, uh, Ted Knight and Rodney. Yeah. Totally hated each other. No shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't think Ted Knight could hate anyone because he's like such a pussycat. Right. But, like, <laughs> but Rodney was, um, this was really his first movie and he didn't know what making, he didn't even know what the word action meant. Right. So Rodney like, Dangerfield? He, no, yeah. Because he's just stand-up guy. He's just a stand-up guy. Old school Amazing. stand-up guy. And he would, he didn't understand that like you were supposed to stick to the script and all this stuff. And Ted Knight, that's all he knew. Right. Because he was like a professionally trained sort of like TV sitcom actor. Sure. And to him, acting is like you show up five minutes early, you say what's written in the script, and like you deliver the lines the same every time. And Rodney's just like popping off anything that comes in his mind. Right. And Ted's like getting flustered and he's like, you can't do that. And these guys are just like not getting along well. Um, let's take a quick break for some uh, ads. We'll be right back, everybody. Hang on. All right, everybody. Precision Pro. Here's the thing about Precision Pro. They got started with a simple question. Quote, why can't anyone make a quality rangefinder at a reasonable price? I also have this question. That was four years ago, and now Precision Pro Golf makes the NX7 series rangefinder that's been named the best value rangefinder in 2018. That's a big thing. I don't by mygolfspy.com said that. My golf spy. Anyway, their rangefinders contain all the bells and whistles that golfers love without the bloated price that other companies charge. Because to be honest, nobody likes bloating, especially when it comes in your price tag. The NX7 Pro Slope Rangefinder is the number one selling rangefinder on Amazon.com right now. Is that true? Is it the number one? No one's in my house. Colt, Snowball, and Max are all in my house. Is it the number one? Check. Is Precision Pro really the number one selling rangefinder? I don't want to purport false claims. Colt's checking. Anyway, that's on sale for $218, and that's $30 off its normal price. Can you believe that? It offers slope-adjusted yardages, pulse vibration technology, which, as a human being, I love. I love pulse vibrations, good or bad. Uh, Two-year warranty. Dang, that's two years, man. That's a long time. That's longer than I've ever had a rangefinder. My last one was stolen, so if you have my rangefinder right now, it says Eric Lang on it. You're an asshole. Also, it comes with industry-leading precision care package that includes a free lifetime battery replacement service. A lot of script. I'm almost done, guys. Hang on. Any news, Colt? Still no news. We're waiting. For golfers, confidence is a wonderful thing. Doubt is not. Precision Pro understands that, and it's why their rangefinder is the perfect combo of performance and price. I love combos like that. Oh, my God. NX7 Rangefinder is, well, look at all these reviews. Does what I wanted. Love it. Just what I was looking for. Price was right. From Lowell H. Danny B says, I like it. <laughs> We're reading real reviews. Five stars. 781 reviews. Dude, here's the deal. They sent it to me, but I haven't had a chance to play with it yet. We're going to see. 
We're going to see. Right now, the NX7 Pro is on sale for $30 off at PrecisionProGolf.com. Two-year warranty, 90-day money-back guarantee, lifetime battery replacement service. Lifetime battery replacement. Whoa, Cadillac Rangefinder with a VW price. I like it. That guy, I want to hang out with. Major Duffer. Let's get Major Duffer on the pod because I want to see this. But the battery replacement service is crazy. Seriously, lifetime battery replacement service. For me. I'm just learning about this. Swing with confidence. Hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Guys, sounds like if you don't buy this, you're the idiot. Um, so anyway, ciao for now. You make coffee in the morning? Let me ask you one question about that coffee you make in the morning. Do you know when it was roasted? If you bought it at the grocery store, it's been stale for months. Sad news, I know. You go ahead and shed a tear. If you bought it at the local cafe, you've probably overpaid for it. Here's the deal. Bixby, B-I-X-B-Y, they cut out our favorite guy. No, our least favorite guy. They cut out the middleman. I mean, the truth is if you are the middleman, you're rock solid. But we don't, we, since we're not the middlemen, we actually want to get rid of them. We're the men on the outside or the women. Moving on, that wasn't supposed to take that long. They roast it the day you order it, and they ship it right from the roaster to your doorstep. Save on the price and save on the freshness. You get more freshness. More freshness, half the price. I don't know what the deal is. Anyway, I've been roasting the facility. I went to the roasting facility the other day, and my man Miles started this really cool company, and it's a high-quality outfit, that's for sure. Um, also, it's like it's like the vice balls of coffee that Jeff wrote that. That's pretty good. I do like that. Um, better coffee, better price, and always free shipping. That's actually a really cool part of it. You get the free shipping. Um, so there you go. Check out BixbyCoffee.com. That's B-I-X-B-Y.com. It's going to get delivered to your door. And, uh, you know, once you get the coffee, you'll be awake for it the next time it gets delivered because it's a subscription thing. You know, you get it regularly. You don't have to go to the store for it. So anyway, check it out, BixbyCoffee.com. All right, all day. Yeah, whoa, can't read. I can't read, everybody. All right, everybody. The holidays are always a great time to literally boost your footwear game. You know I love the boost. The boost, by the way. Can we do we even know what boost is? Boost like came from NASA. Google it. Prove me wrong. Tell me that there's something better than boost, and I will literally block you. No, but there is nothing better than boost. Like boost is the jam. Anyway. For the holidays, boost your footwear game and do yourself a favor. Hop over to adidas.com and click on the golf selection, the golf section. Could be a gift for, oh, get a gift for someone else, y'all. But Adidas makes sure that you can't go wrong. And that's pretty true. Like, I can't find a pair of Adidas shoes that I don't like. Right now, I'm digging the Ryder Cup Special Editions, which obviously you can't get. I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't mean that to come out in a douchey way. It's just true. Um, But that style... I actually can't think of the name of the style. I think it's the Tour 360. I love that shoe. It's the most comfortable shoe ever. I'll wear it by the beach. Um, anyway, uh, there's the new Addy Power Forged. Ooh, that's a slick shoe, actually. I did get a peek at that. That's on the website right now. Uh, Addy Power Forged. And, of course, my favorites. Oh, Joel knows my favorites when he writes this. The Tour 360 and the Tour 360 Knit. Tour 360, obviously, you're getting the waterproof full leather upper. Tour 360 Knit, a little more breathable, a little more... Uh, fresh for the hipsters out there, but they both have all of that, uh, you know, super grippy, sticky spikes, uh, you know, soft spikes, soft spikes. Uh, don't forget the Addy Cross and Addy Pure. I love the Addy Pure. That is the Justin Rose style. That is the Addy Pure. Basically, you can wear anywhere. You can wear it to a tea time or a date, and I promise you're going to get good looks. Uh, I hear there's also something new coming early next year, which I'm stoked about. I did hear that. I actually saw that. So watch out, folks. Get ready for that. So go to Adidas uh, or follow Adidas Golf for all the latest news and info at Adidas Golf, A-D-I-D-A-S-G-O-L-F. Yeah, check it out. Get the, get boosted for the holidays, y'all. Um, later. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right, we're back. Yeah. I am I am literally, like, I kind of want to just, like, say goodbye, read the book, and come back, like, next week. <laughs> I feel like such an idiot. That's okay. I feel like such an idiot. Because, like, anyway, so, so, um, oh, God, this is so exciting. Mm. You know, one of the things, I mean, now, I, I just, yeah, it's funny, because we're in this auditorium. I feel like I'm in high school. I dropped out. I was always in trouble. And now I'm about to say something that's going to make me sound like the reason why this all happened is 
on the way in, I read the dust the dust jacket, okay. the lapel of the yeah. book, and that was like I almost want to read that right. Can I read that right now? Sure, go ahead. It's, do what you gotta do. It's it's just like I don't know, like it it um it, it it paints a picture of what's happening in the in the world, like you had kind of um. Like you kind of said, in the summer of 1980, a group of authority-defying comedy geniuses from SNL, the Second City Improv Troupe, is Second City, that's Chicago, right? Yeah. That was, um, Craig T. Nelson was in that, right? I think he was, I think yeah. he was. And yeah. that's basically the Murray Brothers. The Murray Brothers were out of there, yeah, and Harold Ramis. Too. And Ramis. Oh, so yeah. so the Murray Brothers and Ramis met there. Yes. And this is where, um, did, did in your writings, did in your research, did Canal Shores come up at all? The course where supposedly Bill Murray and uh, Brian There were a bunch the... of courses that they played north of Chicago. That okay. one, um, there was also, uh, I think it was called Indian Hill up in Winnetka or Wilmette, one of those north towns. Okay. Yeah. Um... And then, I can't fucking read my phone. Um, National Lampoon Magazine created the funniest sports movie ever made. Maybe the funniest movie ever made, says Chris. Period. This timeless snobs versus slobs story of working. Is that, did you come up with that? Snobs versus slobs? No, that's been out there. That's out there? I take credit for it, but that's I, I can't. fucking legit. Yeah, thank you. Snobs v. slobs. Yeah. I like that. Definitely going to make a shirt like that. Maybe, um, uh, and the white collar buffoons who make them carry their golf bags in the hot summer sun has sex, drugs, and one very memorable candy bar. But, uh, but the movie we all know and love as a benchmark of comedic film didn't start that way, and everyone who made it certainly didn't have the word, quote, classic in mind as the cameras were rolling. The story of Caddyshack began improbably at Harvard University when three editions of the Harvard Lampoon, blah, 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 decided to unleash their revolutionary humor on the world. Now, what what the fuck? Yeah, so what happened, the whole, you know, the whole idea... Um these guys all sort of go back to there are three areas th- that these comedy people come out of right one is Saturday Night Live one is Second City in Chicago and the other one is the National Lampoon which so, was a magazine in the 70s which was hilarious and totally profane and like sophomoric and silly and gross and amazing and that came out of Harvard so there were some guys really? Doug Kenny is like the real driving force behind this movie this guy Doug Kenny who came out of Harvard he was an editor of the Harvard Lampoon then he started the National Lampoon then he wrote Animal House and then he wrote Caddyshack and he was the most brilliant dude um, you know all of these people who are really brilliant dudes they all say that he was the most brilliant dude that they knew. Really? And yeah, and, and he was a real troubled guy who uh, got deep into cocaine on, on the movie Caddyshack and has some sort of tragic, a tragic end that comes shortly after the movie, which is sort of where the book ends. But okay. anyway, um, yeah, so Harvard is, it's all sort of comes together on this movie. So um, National Lampoon, is that similar to Mad Magazine? It was like Mad, Ma- it was like, it was like Mad Magazine, but smart. You know mm. what I mean? So it was, it, it was, it was the mo- it was the magazine you graduate to after you outgrow Mad Magazine. Uh-huh. You know what I, I never, mean? I never made it because it had like <laughs> naked women pictures in it, but it also had really smart uh, like satire in it. Right. Um, so, uh, at least for me, it was the magazine I graduated to after I graduated from Mad Magazine. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean Harvard. So did these guys graduate Harvard? Doug Kenny did, um, and so he was he was the one that came out of Harvard. Okay. Yeah. This is so. This is uh, this this is interesting to me because um, you know here's another incongruent equation for me, right? Yeah. Caddyshack coming from Harvard. I I, I would yeah. never have guessed that. I would never. If you would give me multiple choice, I yeah. would have said you know Compton University or something. Right, right, right. And now why is that? Uh, I think it's you know, it just so happens that um, there is a, a history of satire that comes out of Harvard that out of the Lampoon specifically that is. You know, the, the writing staff of The Simpsons, they're all like Harvard Lampoon guys. You know, most of the writers on Saturday Night Live, they're all Harvard Lampoon guys. So it's like the, a feeding school in a way for a lot of comedy out in Hollywood. Mm. So and that's this is really where it began is is with the generation that made Caddyshack. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you wouldn't think that these are guys who would like make a movie like Caddyshack. But maybe they're, you know, beside, you know they, they may wear like, you know tweed blazers with elbow patches but maybe they have like a better sense of humor than you think dude rowing blazers are making a comeback <laughs> okay. like it's the whole thing I mean, i'm kind of into the style um so 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 all of a sudden caddyshack is seeming way more intelligent to me than i ever thought yeah like like because because when i get into golf when i get into caddyshack when i when i think about caddyshack 
I just kind of think, huh, there's a kind of a B movie that kind of made it. Yeah. And is that true? Uh, well, it is and it isn't. I mean, it's got a lot of dumb jokes in it, but it, sometimes you have to be smart to write a dumb joke. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's not, there's Whoa. an art to it. Sorry, I didn't mean to blow your mind Fucking there. <laughs> podcast over. Sometimes you have to be smart to write a dumb joke. Can you yes. dig into that a little more? Sure. I mean, a, a lot of, you know, lowbrow humor um, comes from a smart place. You know what I mean? It's not... You have to... You, to to be able to say things about what's going on in the culture, you know, like Caddyshack does, I would argue, you know, it's more than just like a Baby Ruth duty joke in that movie. There's a lot that movie has to say about, and I don't want to like oversell it, but there's a lot that that movie has to say about class. Can you talk about that specifically? Sure, yeah. I mean... Uh, by the way, by the way, and it, everyone listening to this fucking podcast, you've watched Caddyshack, right? If you haven't watched Caddyshack, tr- pull over. <laughs> download it, <laughs> watch that shit, and then and then come back and listen to Chris and I hash this up. Yeah. Okay. So we, you know, because I guess I guess what you're about to tell me is that Caddyshack is almost like uh, like a time capsule of golf culture of, of culture in Absolutely. America. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, golf has rightly or wrongly got um, sort of um, a stereotypical. People think of it as a very like Republican white, uh, exclusive, rich pastime. I'm raising my hand. Yeah, and it is that. I it, think it, that. It totally is that. But it's also, you know, if you go to a golf course, a public golf course, on a Saturday morning at 6 a.m., people are lined up to play. Those aren't people who are working a corner office. You know what I mean? It's not just those people. And I, I would argue that golf is a very democratic sport. You know, it's, it's open to everyone. There are public courses i mean the idea of a public course itself is like very democratic um so so what this movie has has fun with is it it makes fun of the idea that golf is this place where the judge smaleses of the world uh you know these wasps who you know are are like tyrants about the rules and their golf club and you know want the the black guy to shine their shoes that that's not all golf is i mean like you know ronnie dangerfield's character and and chevy chase's character those guys may be rich but they're also sort of they're rebels in their own way you know what i mean right and danny noonan the main character is this poor kid who's trying to make his way in the world you know in this very rich sort of society so yeah. it's it's got a lot of if you dig into it there's there's more there than just you know stupid comedy yeah because i mean i think for me i could easily look at caddyshack and say oh yeah they basically um you know t- took characters that are easily available and just sort of satirized them yeah but but you would say there's something more intelligent i there. do i think there's more to it i don't again i don't want to like overstate it this isn't like some like marxist comedy that's like got a lot to say about you know, class warfare in America. But you know what? It kind of does. It, I think it, there's a lot there. I think it's a movie uh, made by people who um, were rebelling against uh, corporate America. And so I think a lot of that makes its way into the movie. And, I mean, what, is it, what does a movie need to have in it, uh, in, in its engine, in its cylinders, for you to call it the, what you called it, the best of the best. Well, I mean, look, this is a movie that's been around for 40 years almost, and it's a movie that a lot of people are still quoting. Uh, you know, if you if you're if you're at a party or, you know, you're having drinks with someone or uh, you hear someone say, you know, um, uh, you know, it looks good on you though, or you get a free bowl of soup with that hat, or whatever. You know what I mean? Just some random quote from the movie. The more, I, I get it once a week. I yeah, the, the more random the quote, the better. Pool of the pond, you know, chinch bugs, or you're gonna eat that fat, <laughs> whatever farts. line it is from the movie. The heavy stuff's not gonna come down. Yeah, for heavy a bit. stuff's not gonna come down for a while. Yeah, like all of that. Like if any of those lines, if you hear someone say that anywhere, you immediately know that that's someone you can hang out with, right? Oh. It's like this cultural... It's like a password. It is. It is. It's like wow. a secret handshake. Never so, thought of that. Yeah, yeah, no. And it's it's a movie... It's, it's very rare that there are movies that have been around as long as this one has that still have that sort of... That resonance in the culture that Caddyshack has. So for those people out there that haven't seen Caddyshack, because there may be a couple. Yeah. There, there really might. Yeah. Um, if you're listening 
to this and you haven't seen Caddyshack, Chris wants to tell you something. What, what do you? What would you tell them right now? I would say see Caddyshack, <laughs> but don't. But but he, but here's the thing, and, and buy the book, <laughs> and buy the book. <laughs> but but here's the thing. Um, I don't want to oversell the movie. Okay. Because look, it's, it's but you're not talking a, to golfers, so it's an easy sell. If, golfers will have seen it anyhow. You're you right. Can't be a golfer and not know this. If movie. you haven't seen the movie and you play golf, please throw your clubs in the lake. Yeah. Just yeah, get exactly. rid of them. Exactly. Yeah. But but it's not. Look, there's there's a part of me that really struggles with Caddyshack. I love personally. I love the movie, but as we pointed out at the beginning of the show, my day job is as a movie critic. Um. Okay, so. When I put that hat on, this is not a well-made movie. You know, Caddyshack is is a very slapdash comedy. It's obvious that they like threw the script away as they were making it. It's obvious it, upon watching without knowing what you know. Absolutely. Where because, do you see that? Because like no scene has anything to do with the scene that came before it or the scene that comes after it. It's just a collection of just skits and people wow. riffing. I mean, Danny Noonan has a through. He does, but you know what? Like his whole it's very thing thin. with his girlfriend is very thin, and like the way that the golf thing ends with with the putt is like very, like you, if you go back and watch it, like it, it's not clear whether there uh, he actually wins the match by making the putt or ties the match by making the putt. Like there's, it's very unclear that like oh. you know what I mean, and like even the amount of the bets are like a it, none of it really tracks, but it, you don't care because the movie's so much fun anyhow. Michael O'Keefe uh, has been on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I he's a really interesting guy. Yeah. And he was saying that uh, the script originally didn't have his love story in it, or or, or the, the, the no, so, the, the the original script was mostly about the mostly love story. Love yeah, story. and they cut it because what happened was the the original draft of Caddyshack was mostly about the young caddies, and the thing is, is that like the stuff that Chevy and Bill Murray and Rodney and Ted Knight. Those four guys, what they were doing was so good that they said, you know, we got to this is we got to follow the funny here. We got to keep these guys beef up their roles, get rid of the young kids because that stuff's good, but not great. And Mm. so they kind of cut a lot of the young caddies out of the movie. Um, Probably a good decision. Totally a great decision. But if I were one of the young caddies thinking (laughs) I'm going to be the star of this movie and I go to the premiere and I'm like in one scene, I'd be like, what? Whoa. Yeah. So can we talk a little bit about, I mean, I mean, for me, when I watch Caddyshack, I want to be Ty Webb, right? He's mm. a great golfer. He doesn't give a shit. He gets laid. He drinks like, he's just, he's rich. He's well-dressed. Apparently he has a job we don't know. He's got a pool and a pond. What, 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 how do you, how do you deal with the dichotomy between, because I've met Chevy Chase. Yeah. And he fucked me off. Yeah, he basically not, told me to fuck off. He's not a nice guy. Well, and this was also before, apparently he's been sober now for a year. In, yeah, in okay. the current news. Yeah. So when I met him, he was not sober. And uh-huh. I mean, he just literally like swatted me away like a fly. Yeah. And um, maybe I was too excited. So how do you deal? How do you deal with that in your process of, you know, writing the book? You're, you're dealing with the reality of, of real life. Yeah. And you're also dealing with, in, in a strange way, talking to you, realizing the movie is not only a movie, but it's also a time capsule for us as, as it might not be real. Yeah. It might not be a documentary, but the film is of, in and of it's kind of a documentary of where we're at in society. Yeah. So how do I deal with that or specifically about Chevy's character? Well, actually first, I think it's more interesting to talk about how Caddyshack itself is a fictional film, but yet it, it, it parallels where we're at in yeah. society. Yeah. Well, I think that's true. Um, you know, I, I, Look, maybe we've already answered that. Yeah, actually. I feel like we talked a little bit about how how it sort of reflects the culture. But the, look, I think that, I do think that and here's where the, they overlap with the Chevy question, is that Chevy was part of this generation of comedy that was really sort of changing the culture. Okay, like Chevy has been very open um, in the past about talking about how at this period in his life he was taking a ton of drugs. Really? Yeah, and he was um, cocaine mostly. Yeah. God damn. And and um, I mean, it must have been so much cocaine. It was a lot of cocaine. It just must have been so. Like he's a big guy too. He's like six three, six four. Yeah, he he had a quote um, saying something to the effect of like, you know, back then when everyone was doing it, he just had this ability to do more than anyone else oh. because he was like you said, he was like a fit guy. He's big. He. Um, he just seems to have like he's one of those guys like who like Keith Richards, you know what I mean? Just like last man standing. Yeah. You know? Stoic. So yeah. So uh he just seemed to have a higher tolerance than everyone else. But uh, anyway, I think that a lot of that informs 
what the movie's saying as well. It's just sort of a, a, a revolutionary sort of times are changing movie. Right, right, right. Um, fuck, dude. All right, like, like, um, drop me with another. Drop me with another interesting moment for you making this book. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me tell you about uh, how I got Bill Murray to talk because oh. this was this is a, this is a good story this um, is like finding the uh golden egg on the top of mount everest I, I compared it to like um to tracking sasquatch <laughs> <laughs> it's uh so bill murray you know he doesn't he's obviously a different breed of cat he doesn't have a publicist or a manager or an agent he doesn't have any of the traditional sort of publicity machinery and when you're a reporter and you're trying to get in touch and interview one of these people uh, you know a a movie star or whatever you usually go through a publicist so with bill murray he doesn't have any of that stuff what he does have is a 1-800 number okay he just has a 1-800 number first of all you have to find that number like through you know this connection you know you got to know someone to get the number so i knew someone and i got the number and um it's the, there's no outgoing message. It's just a beep. Who do you know that has the number? Just generally, not not uh, this who, guy who's a friend of mine who's sort of friends with Bill Murray. Ah, okay, a friend so, of a friend, friend of a friend. So he gives me the one eight hundred number. I call the one eight hundred number, and I hear the beep. There's no outgoing message, and you're basically auditioning for Bill Murray to call you back. <laughs> no fucking yeah. way. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and this isn't just for reporters. This is like if if I'm a director and I want Bill Murray to be in my movie, Wes Anderson, you have to go through this process because there's Wes no Anderson, other way to get him. Wes Anderson's got to have a cell. He's got to have a cell number. Does Bill Murray not think have a cell so? phone? You would think so. I don't know that he does. I would be. Not, I would not be surprised if he didn't. Actually, I would not be surprised if this is the only way to get to him. So anyway, so I left a message every day for like maybe a month. Every day. Yeah. And and you know trying to be like clever and or funny or whatever and like so what, some what, days what, just bombing you what know what I mean <laughs> just really do you have a stand up background no not at all so w- would you go in with a script uh, I there were sometimes I wrote stuff down and so um, I, yeah. did, did you record these no I didn't oh that would have been amazing <laughs> so anyhow I left all these messages and my friend who gave me the number he left a message as well saying like you can trust this guy blah 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 and so there was about a month later. I was at work. It was 9.30 at night, and my phone lights up, South Carolina prefix. Oh, my God. And I'm like, could it be? And I pick up the phone, and you know, from a lifetime of watching movies, you know exactly who the voice is on the other end. And the problem, the thing about Bill Murray is the problem isn't, once you have him, he's a great interview. You know, and I didn't think he'd want to talk about Caddyshack because, oh, it's just a silly movie <laughs> early in his career. Yeah. But it's actually a very personal movie to him because it's well, based so much it. on, yeah, he's, it's based so much on him and his brothers caddying his kids. And, it's, you know, we can talk about that. But like, so once I got him, he was great. But, the, you know, if I wasn't there that that night when he called, I don't think he would have ever called back. Whoa. You know, I just wouldn't have got him. One I just got shot. lucky. Yeah, 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 yeah. One, how long did you speak on the phone for? <laughs> A little over an hour, probably. An hour? Yeah, it was a good conversation. Jesus. I know, yeah, it was good. Did you, when you heard it was him, did you, what was the feeling immediately? Thank Christ. I hope, and I hope that the, t- it was one of these old micro cassette recorders. So I was just watching the wheels spin on the tape recorder, like, <laughs> this better be recording. You know what I mean? You know that feeling. You right, know? right. You well, just, I'm having it right now. Yeah, I'm holding this fucking hoping thing this in works. my hand. Yeah. So, so, and where were you? Did you have kids yet? I did, uh, no, not yet. Uh, this was uh, this twin, was just in my work office at night. Yeah. You got twin five year olds. Now. I do, yeah. Um, and uh, so, so, wait, you're in the office? Yeah, I was in the office at nine thirty. Oh, that's that's I a got, relief. Yeah, an hour on the phone with Bill. Yeah, fucking it was great. Murray. It was great. He was terrific. He was really, really insightful. What great validation for your uh, devotion to your job. Yeah, it was. It was a good moment. It was like a real bucket list sort of thing. Yeah. What did he say anything on the phone call that just fucking dropped you? That just floored you? Um that may or may not have made it into the book? Well, most of the stuff that he talked about made it into the book one way or another. I made sure it did. Um <laughs> but you know, I, I really I was sort of touched by um you know, cuz you think of Bill Murray as this once in a generation talent and like you know, always the funniest guy in the room. And what really sort of impressed me was when he was talking about being on the set of Caddyshack, you know, his brother Brian, his older brother, was one of the three writers. And the other two writers were Doug Kenny, who we talked about, and Harold Ramis, who also directed it. So those are the three writers. And Brian's in the film as the Caddy as Master. As the Caddy Master, right. yeah. No fighting, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Lou Loomis. And so um, he... Uh, 
Bill Murray was saying that, you know, most of his, because most of his lines were ad-libbed. He was just doing them on the fly. And he uh, was saying that the way he knew that he was doing a good job was he would make those three guys laugh. And it, it, was, it struck me that, like, oh, see, everyone looks at Bill Murray as, like, he's their comedy hero. But it's interesting to see that at Bill Murray, at the beginning of his career, was looking up to other people as his heroes. Like that was people, those were people, those three people, Brian Doyle Murray, um, Doug Kenny, and Harold Ramis, were a few years older than Bill Murray. And he wanted to impress them. And it was weird to, to hear him have this moment of like, um, not insecurity, but just wanting to like impress someone. And I don't think Bill Murray has wanted to impress anyone ever since. You know what I mean? He seems like a guy who lives his life by not caring what other people think. So it was it was cool for me to hear him say that. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's it's crazy to think that, right? That that we were all b- babies once yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. That is kind of I mean, when you look back at the movie, he's pretty young. Yeah, he's really young. He's got like short black hair. Yeah. Um fuck, dude, that's so crazy. I uh I can't even imagine. I can't that that story is too nuts. I can't even imagine yeah, that yeah. that feeling. Bill Bill Murray calling you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then what was the Chevy Chase interview like? Chevy Chase was good. Uh, he was, you know, I had, I had been warned a little bit, you know, um, that he can be a prickly guy and, um, you know, is not always uh, the best. But I, I had a really great interview with him. I got lucky. I caught him on a good day and a good mood. And mm. uh, it was a really good interview. And he was actually best friends with, with Doug Kenny. And he gave me a lot of great stuff about Doug because he sort of, they were almost like brothers in a way. And, and uh, he got very sentimental about, you know, sort of the, the end of Doug's life and all that stuff. Because Doug um, died about a month after Caddyshack came out. And that's sort of the where the book leaves off. And um, and so uh, Chevy was really, he got sort of um, emotional of, of talking about that stuff, which really surprised me. Yeah. Because you don't think of him as being that sort of guy. No, you don't. You don't. Um, gosh, I mean, when you look at, it's interesting to me because when you look at um, all of the characters in the film and and the actors that portrayed them, it doesn't even like because I I had talk, I've talked to a lot of actors in in Hollywood about you know uh, acting or whatever, mm-hmm. and they're like, dude, you just got to pick the roles that you can do. And for some people, well, I was specifically Jason Bateman was talking to him about this, and he was like, you know, I mean, on some level, he's just playing himself. Yeah, and he said that. Yeah, and I was like, "Holy shit!" And I literally went through every movie he's done, and I was like, "Yeah, he's just being himself." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, is that happening in Caddyshack? Um, I think I think more or less it is. Yeah, I mean, um, I think Chevy Chase is Ty Webb. You know what I mean? I think he really is, and I think they wrote it with him in mind, knowing that they wanted him to play the character. So I, I do think that that he is. You know, I, I Rodney is clearly you know that guy. <laughs> you know, he he. He just is. And, you know, Bill Murray, that's a version of himself. You know, he's still that character that he, the way he talks in that movie, you know, the sort of Cinderella story, that whole thing. That's a character he came up with at Second City called the Honker. And he's been doing that since he was like in his late teens. Really? Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. character has always been a greenskeeper or just a no, voice? No, no, no. Just the voice. Yes. Yeah, character called the Honker. So, the Honker? Yeah. So he just what else pulls does the up. Honker do? Um, he, at Second City, I think he did a lot. You know, I think when he was at Second City, he used to break into that character quite a bit. It. but um you know i don't think he could it's 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 been done so iconically as carl and <laughs> caddyshack i don't think it's something he could bust out in another movie now you know no it would then be uh, carl yeah, yeah he'd be doing carl yeah, he'd be doing the carl. honker is yeah. is been uh buried yes exactly the honker has been reborn yeah um how many times have you seen caddyshack you know i would say the over under on it is probably like 60 70 wow. okay. you know somewhere in there That's i mean good. i watch it a bunch for the for the for the book you right. know um before the book maybe 20 times and so I, yeah as 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 you start <clears throat> as you start getting into the career of watching caddyshack right obviously there are certain scenes that you grow to love um but as as you as you near the sunset the twilight of your caddyshack viewing career yeah. for the book what 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 scenes kind of struck you as being not what you thought in the beginning? What, what, did that happen even? Did some scenes that age well, you mean? Uh, no, I mean, oh. did some scenes age? Did some scenes sort of only develop for you after watching it for a while? Did things appear to you only later? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, my experience watching the movie after writing about it and now knowing so much about 
like the backstory on all of these scenes that sort of informs the way I watch the movie now. So mm-hmm. I can, I like, I'll watch the movie now and I'll think like, Oh, well, Bill Murray is just making this up here because this was ah. in the script. So that always impresses me when I know that someone is just ad libbing in a scene. Now that really impresses me because I'm watching their mind work in real time. You Whoa. know what I mean? They're actually, they're actually being. Just coming up with that stuff on the fly. So right. that really is a, is, is a, a way that ch- it changes for me. And so for the Bill Murray, um, like uh, for, for the scenes that Bill Murray owns, right, yeah. with this improv, what to you sticks out as being the most asterisked? Ama- yeah. yeah. Amazing, yeah. Um, probably Cinderella Story because um, that whole scene, they did that in one take. What? And that was all off the top of his head. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, they did. So Bill Murray, so what happened was when they were shooting that scene, Cinderella story scene, uh, where he's got the, the rake or the grass whip or whatever it is, he's just lopping the heads off these flowers. Um, he, uh, the director, Harold Ramis, came over to him and he said, like, you know, we need a scene here. This is what I'm thinking. And, and um, you know, to sort of motivate him, he said, like, have you ever done sports commentary in your head? No. You know what I mean? Like, when you're playing golf, have you ever done, like, sports commentary? Like, pretend sports commentary in your head. And we all have done that, right? Sure. You know, we're sitting on the golf course or whatever, and we'll just, like, line up a shot, and we'll be like, you know, uh, and Eric is taking out a nine wedge here. And he, <laughs> nine wedge. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. He's taking out He's taking out a, you know, a sand wedge here, and he's got about 20 feet to the hole. So everyone has done that to some degree. So, and Bill Murray says, when Harold Ramis says this to him, he's like, I got it. Don't say any more. Let's just roll. And so he just does. And that's that whole scene, you know, like Cinderella story out of nowhere. It's in the whole, that whole thing is just one take. And that's Bill Murray being Bill Murray at the peak of Bill Murray's powers. That's incredible. Because I would have thought a month or two prior, they're saying, okay, we're going to do this little scene. Think about what you want to do and then just show up with something. Nope, nope. No, literally, it was. They a had Bill Murray part. on the set for seven days. They didn't know what they were going to have him do. They just tried to work him as hard as they could because they only had him for seven days. So they just filmed all this stuff, and they didn't know really where it was going to go. And so, would you say he is the uh, backbone of the film? Is he the star? Um, to, to me, I think to most people he is. Um, but to me, I have to say my favorite performance in the movie, and this changes over time. But like lately in the past year, as I watched the movie, my favorite performance is uh, Ted Knight as Judge Smales. I think, yeah, I really think that he is, uh, he really is the soul of the movie. See, now that's interesting. That that seems to be a, a, a sort of refined taste of Caddyshack because yeah. when, you, when you first watch it, anyone who's watching Caddyshack, it's and either Bill Murray or Rodney. Yeah, well, or 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 Chevy. Yeah, but I mean, you know, for me, when I come into Caddyshack, I'm coming into it with a lot of fucking baggage. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm disliking Judge Smales, right? And that's me being a probably a, a naive uh, viewer. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, sort of sort of taking a character and. And making them real, right? But you're saying uh, this this whole performance. I think is... he gives the best performance in the movie, hands down. Interesting. I really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I can't wait to watch yeah, the movie yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. It's it really it's something special. Um. So, <clears throat> I, I know you're probably busy. We got a couple more minutes here, but I'm thinking about. Um, let's zoom out a bit, like film as a whole, right? Like I, I have a. I love I love movies. I love cinema. I love watching old movies. We're in New York right now. I love Film Forum. Yep. Uh, I love that place. Um. Can we talk a little bit about how kind of you, you spent your life essentially yeah. around cinema? Yeah. What What do you get? What do I get? Yeah. What do you get? I get um, a job where I get paid to watch movies, which is really <laughs> just you couldn't ask for anything better. No, I just love- you really get paid to watch movies. Yeah. How many movies a week do you watch? Oh, like for my job or just in general? But, uh, well, I pro- I review I review at least five movies a week. Okay. So um, there's 15 hours. Yeah. Well. And how much time to write it? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <Right>. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for belittling what I do, Chris. What do you do with all your other three, time? Three sentences. <laughs> um, no. So okay. So that's part of it. Um, and then I watch movies. How many times just do to you watch go, movies? How many times do you need to watch a movie to review it? Usually just once. Just once. Sometimes twice. Right. Yeah. And so and so, but I mean, not so much. What do you get? But what do you yeah. get? What do you? Out of movies, like, like, what do you get? Like, why? Why do we watch movies? Why do? Cause why do we give a shit? They make us forget about our miserable lives for two hours. Is that know? really what it is? Well, I think there's a form of escapism to it. You know what I mean? Like, I think we're all trying to 
to get out of our own heads for a couple of hours, you know, whether even if it's, you know, even if our lives aren't miserable, it's nice to see other people going through things, whether it's good or bad, you know, it just sort of, it gives us a way to relate to the rest of the world. Mm. I, I just per, Personally, I just like the act of going to the movies and sitting in his chair, you know, with a soda and like watching the THX thing, like rattle my eardrums <laughs> and like just, you know, watching a dumb movie um, and, and sometimes hopefully not a dumb movie. And right. I just love... I've been watching movies like obsessively since I was a kid and um, I just love doing it. That's so cool. Did you, you, do you get a lot of messages you got on Twitter? What, what, what are you most on Twitter? Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's uh it's just your name at Chris Nashawati. Yeah. N A S H A T A. And why don't I do it or do it the right way? There you go. It's uh, at Chris Nashawati. N A S H A W A T Y. There's a W in there. There is. I forgot the W. Yeah. I spelled it Nashatawi. It's an interesting way. I'm not dyslexic. Surprisingly. Um, so, but but that's but do you get a lot of messages about dream job? Do you get do you get people saying fuck, I want that job? Um, not really. Uh, I get a, more messages saying like you're an idiot. How could you not like this movie? Or how did you like this movie? People are really Twitter's like it's it's really rough. Twitter's you know what sharp, I mean? Especially if you have a job where I I I mean I can only imagine like professional athletes uh, after you like miss a free throw or a field goal or something. Oh, interesting. They must just get. You know, pummeled. But um, yeah. yeah, like if you dislike a superhero movie or something, geez, it's just like they're out to get you. Right, right. It, it gets rough. So you got to have to log off for a couple What do you days. do? Do you just say fuck it? Do, do you read it? I, um, I, If I sort of see that that's where the next, you know, 100 messages are going, then yeah, I'll just tune out. Um, but you, it's, you oh, I got Do you use any of it as constructive criticism? No. No, because it's not. No, I, I don't think so. No, I, I think I'm I think I'm pretty good at what I do. Yeah. And I don't need, um, you know, I, I don't think someone telling me why I didn't get Batman versus Superman <laughs> is really going to inform me being better at my job. You know, it's funny because I just started a YouTube channel like a month or two ago. And I, mostly I'm on Instagram and I'm, I like that and I enjoy it and I treat it like a dialogue. Yeah. Uh, YouTube is uh, different. Yeah. Uh, you, the haters come out, yeah, and they want to let me know that they didn't like what I just made, yeah. And it's funny because it affected me uh, for a, for a couple of weeks there, and I was like, "Whoa, this is like what? Really? Did I make something bad? Yeah, am I wrong?" And then you know, I mean, I was talking about it with everybody on my team, and 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 then in the end, it was like, "Good, yeah, you don't like what I did? Good, yeah." It's it's tough. It's if if you can go into it and have that attitude. That that's super healthy. Yeah. Um. I I I don't. I can't do that for some reason. I, I find it really hard. It's I, painful though. It is. So I I just um I just try not. I just try to avoid it. I think there's something about the culture of like instant messaging and social media that um takes the thought out of criticizing people. Like I, back in the day when I first started Entertainment Weekly, if you wrote an article that people didn't like, they would have to take the time to actually write a handwritten letter or type out a letter no. and mail it and put a stamp on it and send it to the magazine. Oh, right, the, so the you, complainer right, would. Right. Yeah. So, so that takes some real thought. You know mm. what I mean? There's a lot of time in that process. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of time in that process to sort of make you realize, man, maybe this isn't a good idea or do I really <laughs> want to do this? But with Twitter, it can just be like, you know, you just got to like, yeah. peck your thumbs like loser yeah and, and it's and you're it's sent and it's like that it's like very instant and you don't have any time to really think about like is this a wise thing i should be saying right is this is this you know how is this going to make me look um a lot of people I, could be drunk uh, you could be drunk uh it's you know it's just i don't think it's a constructive dialogue yeah Dr drunk commentary anyway um so so um but but there was one other thing. Um, do, do does it annoy you when people say, "Well, you're a movie critic. What's your favorite movie?" <laughs> do you get that a lot? I do get that a lot. I fucking hate that. It's question. not fun. What's your favorite golf course, Eric? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. It depends on the fucking day, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and or you know what annoyed me the other day is I went to this amazing golf course. Yeah. And as soon as I get what there, was it? Uh, it was called Oakmont. Okay. And as soon as I get there. Uh, some people I was meeting and I knew and they kind of knew I was on a trip and they were like, they were asking me about every other fucking golf course in the world and I was like, hey, I just got here, folks. Right, right, right. Let me fucking watch this movie. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, 
And so tell me about, I actually just weirdly the other day, I was like, I think I have a top five of movies. Let's hear it. Well, I but are, hear you gonna, it. are you going to go? I'll go after you. You have to go. Sure. No, I, but I, I don't know what my top five are. I'll have to come up with it at the moment. But go ahead. I, I didn't hear either, but it was a weird moment. I think I was yeah. walking through an airport, and I was like, holy shit, I have a top five. Let's hear it. Pulp Fiction. Is number one? Are you going in order, or is uh, this just- I can't go okay, in order. Just give I can't. me five. I, five. Okay. I got to just do five. Okay, go ahead. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, L.A. Story. Yeah. Um, I'm fucking blanking right now, actually. Okay. That's what's weird. Uh, Pulp Fiction, L.A. Story. Um, Fucking hell. Uh, Groundhog's Day? Yeah, that's a good one. Groundhog's Day? I'm afraid Caddyshack's not going to be on That's okay. Which is going to be terrifying. It might not be in mine either. No, really? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, oh, fuck. I w- now, see, now I feel like a jerk because I didn't have him in my well, head. Uh, you did top three. That's pretty good. Top three is pretty good. Pretty good. I think my top three would be, well, my number one always has been and will continue to always be Jaws. Oh, see, you got this. Yeah, so you got this. That's that's, but that's uh, after that, it sort of gets. I don't know. <laughs> but so, see, you as a critic, you're you. When you say Jaws, I know you're prepared to back it up. Too. Yeah. No, like if I started, to, if I started to drill you, you'd be like, da 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 da. Here's why. Yeah, I, I would, and that would be a different podcast. It really would. Yeah, but it really would. And we can do that another time. But uh, so Jaws for sure. Wow. Um, like I love old movies, so like the Maltese Falcon from the oh, '40s with Humphrey Bogart. That's like that. a top three movie for me. Okay, I'll go Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, that's a great one. Or uh, or uh, Double Indemnity. That's a, also a really good one. Okay, um, those would all be in my top like ten or twenty for sure. If you're listening, get into noir. Yeah, get into old great. movies. Yeah. Um, and then maybe the third one would be like something like Lawrence of Arabia or something, just Ooh. like a big sweeping. Epic. I haven't seen it. Yeah, or Star Wars. You know. Okay, not yeah. a big Star Wars guy, my yeah. me. Anyway, yeah. where are they going to buy your book? Uh, you can buy it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or go to any any of your local bookstores and get it there. It's uh, Do you do have you, are you going to do the audiobook? Uh, the audiobook actually is a really good story here. The audiobook is read by a guy who was in the movie. No shit. Yeah, yeah, this guy Peter Burkrot is a former actor and he uh, played the one of the caddies in the movie. He actually is the caddy who's on the other end of Bill Murray's pitchfork during the Dalai Lama scene. Oh, yeah. He's getting it to the neck. Yes. Amazing. That guy grew up to become a guy who reads audiobooks. So what the fuck? Yeah, it's... Does he even have a line in the movie? Oh, he's got a few lines in the yeah, movie. Yeah, okay. yeah but, but here's the thing. When we were doing the audio, when it was time to do the audiobook, I said to the publisher... Let's get this guy. You wanted Peter. Yeah, because wh- who could who could give life to oh, this book better than Cuz you recognize you already knew Peter I already was, a, knew, was when an I interviewed him reader. for the book. Ah. I asked him what he was up to now and he So wait, me. is his interview in the book? Yes. Oh, I'm so dying he to know when what he's he reading the book, he's reading quotes from himself. No as way. A, as the narrative it's really like gets sort of meta. Dude, that's it, meta. Yeah, it's great. Um so wait, oh that sounds so fucking yeah. cool. So you can buy that too. How long is the audiobook? How many uh, hours? I don't know. I feel like it's 10. I don't know. I'm downloading the audio yeah, right it's now, really dude. fun. I can't wait. I, by the way, <laughs> we're gonna have to talk again. Okay. When well, next time I'm in New York, I definitely want to talk again after I'm not a fucking unprepared idiot. <laughs> uh, but you know, this has served as a great experience for me. And by the way, everyone listening, you you got the raw experience of not knowing. I, I haven't read it yet, so now we get to read it together. We're gonna have a yeah. book club. Yeah. We're gonna have a fucking book club, Chris. Great. And I was as I was telling you before, if you're on the fence about reading this book, here's one reason why you should read the book. It is full of the most insane cocaine stories that you'll ever read. And if you don't think that you like reading insane cocaine stories, then you're nuts. You're nuts. Yeah. They're yeah. just great. Then just turn off the pod. Just pull over, get out of your car, and just walk home. <laughs> what? What the? <laughs> Falling down. Great movie. Um, Gunga Galunga. Yeah. Can you just paint me a small picture of something you know about that that I don't, and then we can shut this fucking podcast That's just up. That's just the, the nutty insanity of Bill Murray's mind. He just made that up on the fly that It's day. just happening. Yeah, it's just, that's just him. He didn't comment on it. I didn't ask him specifically about Gunga Galunga or Gunga Lagunga. Or, or the or Dalai Lama yeah, the Dalai being L- a big hitter. Well, we talked about the Dalai Lama scene. That stuff's in the book. He just, you know, like, he, there was a very, very uh, stripped-down version of that in the script, and he just took it to a whole different place. Right. Um, he just The flowing robes, it. the grace. <laughs> yeah. So, um... And that's... Ho- ho- what's the ca- what's the character's name? That's... the in, Bill Murray's entire Carl Spackler, Carl Spackler character is based on ho- Hobbes? The The... the uh, oh, the honker. Honker. Yeah, the honker was. He the only that, plays yeah. the honker in Caddyshack. Yes, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, the honker is that. Did he must have talks. known that prior that he was going to utilize? He did, but no one else did. Like really? they knew who the like Harold Ramis had been with Bill Murray. Um, 
they'd worked together prior to Caddyshack. And when Harold Ramis hired him to be in Caddyshack, he didn't know that, Bill, like, he knew who the honker was and Bill's character and he, that he did that character, but he didn't know he was going to play Carl that way. No until he shit. opened his mouth on the first day and out came that sort of character. What, what was the first scene that they the shot The first with Bill? scene that he shot was actually, uh, I believe it was the Dalai Lama scene. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Coming him. in hot. Coming in hot. The yeah. first scene? Yeah. Holy shit. And you know Harold must have just been like fucking tipping over in his chair. They were all like biting their fists, like not, they were crying, <laughs> like not to laugh. Yeah. Oh my god. Dude, thank you so much for the time. My pleasure. I really appreciate it. Everybody, please go check out Caddyshack, The Making of a Hollywood Cinderella Story by Chris Nashawati. Uh, check them out on Twitter. Instagram, anything else? What do you uh, do? Twitter's the way to go. Twitter. And my reviews are on EW.com. What does don't at me mean? What does that don't mean? Don't at me means like don't don't bother me with your responses about this. Uh, okay, go ahead and but at me. you can me. at me. You, you can, can at both of us. <laughs> I've been getting it recently. I'm like, what do you mean? Like People will be like, da 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 don't at me. And I'm like, what the fuck are you saying? Right. And I haven't Googled it yet. But now we now have together, know. we have communicated this. Um, anyway, check it out. Check it out on audio with Peter Burkhart reading it. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Burkhart, right? Peter Burkhart? Burkhart. Yeah. Peter Burkhart. I'm going to I'm gonna do that on the plane ride home tomorrow. Good. I'm so excited. Um, dude, thank you again. My pleasure. 